Hey, South Bend City Church, Mariah here, the Director of Art and Worship. We're so thankful that you chose to listen in today and so grateful that you're a part of our community. Before we get to today's teaching, just wanted to give you a couple updates in the life of our community. First of all, if you consider yourself to be new to South Bend City Church, we have two opportunities to get to know us and for us to get to know you. It's called a New to South Bend City Church table, and we have an in-person version of that happening on May 7th at 1215, right after our second gathering here at Studebaker 112 in South Bend. If you are one of our long-distance community members, or if you find the digital space more accessible, we also have a digital Zoom option on May 8th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Whether you're planning on joining us in person or if you are planning on joining us on Zoom, we would love to know that you're going to be there. So please RSVP at the link in the show notes below so we can make sure if you're coming to the in-person one, we have food, and if you're coming to the Zoom version that you have the Zoom link. Also, as always, just a reminder that if you consider South Bend City Church to be your home, that you can always give. You can go to southbendcitychurch.com give, that's in the show notes below, and you can give it to the general fund, or we have different care funds available as well. Speaking of giving and care funds, last week we told you about an opportunity to bring some comfort to the sixth graders at Jefferson Traditional Middle School here in South Bend after the loss of their classmate, Tian Horston. And over the last week, we were able to provide 200 box lunches for the sixth graders there and write a check for a little over $1,200 to give to the school to use for the ways in which they see the students' needs. Thank you. That's all I have to say, thank you. Your generosity is incredible and it blows us away every time. We wanted to make sure that we give you an update on where all of that landed. And in the process of hearing about that need and announcing the fund, we actually found out that quite a few of our South Bend City Church community members work as mental health professionals throughout the week, and they had already been on the ground with those students. And as we approach Mental Health Awareness Month, we wanted to take a minute to say thank you to all of the mental health professionals that are a part of our community. If that's you, thank you for the ways in which you show up. And we also wanted to quickly let you know about an event being held here in South Bend by the South Bend Empowerment Zone to kick off Mental Health Awareness Month. If you're one of our local community members or you happen to find yourself here in South Bend on Saturday, May 6th, the West Side Refresh will be happening then at Washington High School from 11 to 2. And it'll feature fun fair, workshops and keynotes, other family activities. And for all that information and more, you can head to the South Bend City Church Open Forum on Facebook for more information. Okay, you still with me? Uh, This weekend, we had a friend of South Bend City Church join us. I'm not even going to attempt to introduce him because Jason did such a great job in our gatherings, so we'll join Jason here in a bit. But today, we come to the line of the creed that says, we believe in the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to believe in the Holy Spirit? And what should we expect from the Holy Spirit? And when so many of us have seen so many questionable claims about the Spirit, what if the real promise of this line of the creed is in the kind of community that the Spirit births. We ask all these questions and more. Let's join in with the rest of our community now. Hey, Southland City Church. My name is Jason. If we haven't met, I'd love to catch you after the gathering. Today I get to introduce our teacher, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, if you've had a good experience of extended family, which I know is not everyone's experience, but if you've had a good experience with aunts and uncles or grandparents or cousins, then you know that there's a, a special gift that comes with that, right? There's a, the common ground that you share with them. There's enough that you hold in common with them that they remind you of who you are and what you believe and how you walk through the world. But maybe they're also removed enough from your everyday context that they can share new ideas and new visions and expand your imagination a little bit. 
Uh, and Southland City Church has the benefit of some extended family, and today we get to hear from one of those extended family members. These are uh, pastors, theological voices, artists who know us well enough and see us clearly enough to speak to us about who we are, but who also come from other places and can stretch our imagination a little bit. Uh, and today we have a, who, somebody who's not a, a new face for us, unless you've not been here uh, very long, but I want to introduce him again uh, because we're really thrilled that he's here. Uh, he is a pastor, teacher, author, coach, a storyteller, uh, and a guide for a lot of us. Uh, he's a conversation partner that I'm really grateful to have. And I'm a little tired today because we stayed up a little bit too late last night talking. Uh, but it was really good for me and my soul. And I'm really grateful that he's here. Uh, when he's not in South Bend, he's in Houston, Texas, where he's a pastor at Ecclesia Church. But he's going to take us into the next step in our series of Old Creed, New World. He's taking us into the next line of that creed. Uh, please give a big welcome to Sean Palmer. Well, it's uh, really great to be back, and I, I feel the need to apologize. Um, I was supposed to be here, I guess, maybe last summer when Jason was on sabbatical, and storms came through the Midwest, and I was stuck at home, and we had to scramble, and I recorded a sermon really quickly on video, um, which was great because I didn't have to get on a plane, but um, I miss seeing you and, and being here. Jason says that I make fun of South Bend all the time. And it's not all the time. It's, a, it's some of the time. But it's just so easy to do. We were talking with a friend at lunch yesterday, and they were talking about this great restaurant in South Bend. And I said, yeah, I know it. I've been to South Bend three times. I've been to that restaurant five times. It's the only restaurant in South Bend, apparently but I'm glad we all like it. And so I feel like I should apologize for not being here, but then Jason has taken it out on me because he said you're in the middle of this series on the Apostles' Creed and that I would get to talk about this line in the Apostles' Creed, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Which if you knew me, if you knew my story, it's the least likely line of the creed that I should ever preach. Because I grew up in a church system, in a Christian tradition, that was very scared of the Holy Spirit. And we didn't actually even talk about the Holy Spirit. We were actually what people call cessationist, which means that we believed that God used the Holy Spirit to create the Bible. And then after the Bible was created, the Holy Spirit just sort of went on vacation for the rest of history. And we had good reason to think that because people assign almost anything or they can assign almost anything to the Holy Spirit. And some of you have had experiences where someone maybe had a word from God for you and you're like, if God's got a word for me, God knows where he can find me. <laughs> and there are all of these abuses around it. So when I, was, when I was in elementary school, there was a televangelist by the name of Oral Roberts. And Oral Roberts had a television show, and he went on and he told the entire world that God, through the Holy Spirit, had told him that if he didn't raise a million dollars in the next month, 
that God was going to take his life. And remember, I was a kid. So part of me thought, would that be so bad? <laughs> Nobody I knew liked Oral Roberts. I was, okay, like, our, everybody's time comes. <laughs> but it's so easy to have some experience and just say that it was the Holy Spirit or to have a religious experience. And, and I know this because I have two daughters. And my oldest daughter is 19 and my youngest is 16. And last weekend, we had a monumental moment in their lives. Because last weekend, Houston was visited by the one and only Taylor Allison Swift. And this was a big deal. I spent all day on Ticketmaster securing these tickets long ago. It was an enormous undertaking. And my youngest daughter's birthday is in February, and her best friend is an only child, and she had tickets. So for her birthday, her best friend gave her Taylor Swift tickets. So my youngest daughter got to go to the show last Friday night, and then again with our tickets on Sunday night. And so they go to the concert last Friday night. She stays over. She sleeps over at her friend's house. I pick them up, pick her, go to pick her up the next morning because she's got a choir thing that she's got to get to. And she gets in the car. And I look over and I say, well, Kate, how was the concert? And she says, it changed my life. It was a religious experience. <laughs> and I can see why. Like, there's a whole, like, liturgy around it. Like, for weeks, like, we were making bracelets to trade with other people. I have on my Taylor Swift bracelet now. <laughs> and there are clothes that you have to buy, apparently, with lots of sparkles and glitter. It was an experience. But anyone can say that the Spirit gave them an experience. When I was in college, there was a Christian artist, musician, who was very popular, and by everything that I know about him, attested to as a really good human being. And his name was Rich Mullins. And Rich died tragically in a Jeep accident. And he actually wrote a song. He actually put the Apostles' Creed to music. I believe in God the Father, one almighty maker of heaven and earth, all of that, that whole song. Some of you remember that. But while he was alive, he told this story about visiting with a fan after one of the concerts. And this fan comes up to him, and he's talking about a different song, another song. And he says, you know, every time you just get to this one place in the song, I just feel the spirit move. And when Rich told that story, he says, that's not the spirit. That's when the kick drum comes in. <laughs> and so I get it that for many of us, both inside religion, who were raised with it, and those who might be new to Christian faith, like, there's a lot of suspicion around it because there are a lot of abuses around it. And it's really hard when someone says that the Spirit told them to do something or guided them to do something or they got a sense of the Spirit or had a, 
experience of the Spirit, to debate that. And you just kind of have to go with it. And not everything. You've been around long enough to know that not everything people say is from God is actually from God or sounds like it would kind of be the thing from God. And then this line finds itself in a creed. And another thing about the religious tradition that I was raised up in is that we didn't do creeds. We were non-creedal. And what that meant was we said our only creed is the Bible. So we didn't need all of that other stuff because to our way of thinking, like human beings, men wrote that stuff. And so I didn't grow up with any of the abuses of the creeds, like the fact that the creeds don't mention this really important thing, love. But I also didn't grow up with any of the beauty of the creeds. And these come to us down through history, shaped by faithful women and men who came before us. And it's awfully arrogant to assume that we are so much more sophisticated than the people who came before us, that we just know more. So I got to sidestep a lot of the content of the creeds. But I also missed some of the beauty of the creeds and why the creeds even exist, both the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Like, why is it that people decided to write this down? And one of the beauties of the Apostles' Creed is that someone did write it down. Because in writing it down, you make the creed much more egalitarian. So you have to remember, when this was written, when it was struggled and fought over, most people had no education, were illiterate. And how do you function in a world? How do you guide a people in the world where most people can't read unless you are wealthy and male? Well, you reduce it down to the essentials. So in my religious tradition, we are like a pastoral people, a revival people. And as revivalists traveled the early American frontier, they reduced down what they thought was the most important things for people to do, which was hear, believe, confess, repent, and be baptized. And they would go around and they would teach children, hear, believe, confess, repent, and be baptized, so that children could go home and teach their parents. They make it very simple. And that's what the creeds do. It actually removed what the church was and what the church taught out of the hands of a select few so that everybody could have it. It made it much more egalitarian. But the creeds also embedded life in a story. We wanted a story and needed a story that we could all tell together, which then meant that it belonged to the people. And I don't know about you. I know about me that there are days where I deeply believe in God and there are days that feel like holding the tide back with a teaspoon in disbelief. And I'm grateful in those moments that there are people in my life who remind me what I believe and sometimes just believe for me. There's a guy named Richard Foster 
who wrote this book on prayer. It's a classic in Christian spirituality. And as he was writing that book, he told this small group of people that he met with regularly that he was really struggling to pray while he was writing the book on prayer. And this book went on to become the most well-known book of prayer in the 20th century. And as he was sharing this with them, they told him, don't worry about praying. As you're writing this book, we will pray for you. And the creeds are giving us a story that we can carry together, and it's a story that helps us carry one another. And story is really important. Like, I love story. I am an AMC A-list member. <laughs> and I don't know if you know what AMC A-list is, but for 20 bucks a month, I can go see at the theater three movies a week. Do I go every week to see three movies? Yes, I go every week <laughs> to see three movies. And what the creed is doing is embedding in us a story to live. And I think it's easy to misread the Apostles' Creed and maybe even hold it in suspicion if we divorce it from the story it's reminding us of. Our trouble is, many of us only like the stories that we like. We only want to tell the stories that we want to tell. And this is not a story that we get to choose. One of my favorite theologians, Walter Brueggemann, says this. He says, we live at a time when we believe we should have no story except the story we chose when we had no story. We call this freedom. And what he's saying there is there's this temptation to not accept stories that we don't like. My, my wife teaches fifth grade in Texas, and there has been an active push to not tell certain parts of the story. The only the parts that we like to tell. And what the scriptures and the Apostles' Creed are reminding us is like, this is a story that you don't get to choose. But if you knew the story, why would you not choose it? Like if you were able to get under it and live inside of it, to inhabit that story. I think it's a story that most of us would say, I want to be a part of that story. That's the story I want to tell my friends and my neighbors. That's the, the story I want to tell my enemies. And I want to share a little bit of that story. And it's found in Acts 10. And I want us to walk through and hear what God is teaching us in Acts 10 and why you might want to inhabit a story that says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So in the New Testament, the biggest issue in the church 
is the church. And it's on virtually every page of Paul's letters. There is a massive issue happening inside the church right when it launches, just when it's beginning. And the issue is this. How are Jews and Gentiles supposed to live together and love one another? Because for history, not only have Jews and Gentiles not done this, like no one's ever done this. And Jews, for centuries, have believed that they are God's chosen people. They are elect. They are selected. They are the family of God. And everybody else is outside of God's family. And they're not sure that they want to go to worship every weekend and be with those Gentiles and all their nasty Gentile habits, like handling pork and eating unclean things. And the Gentiles have always looked down on the Jews, like they are backwards people and superstitious. And how are they supposed to get together? And this issue is a racial issue and an economic issue. It's an issue about gender. It's an issue about how we conduct and take care of our bodies. It is everything. The biggest issue in the New Testament is how you and I become the kind of people who know the difference between the differences that make a difference and the differences that don't make a difference. And we stumble upon this story in Acts 10. And Acts 10 has one of the monumental characters of the New Testament in it. He is the main character of the first part of the book of Acts, and it's an apostle of Jesus named Peter. But it doesn't start with Peter. It starts with a man named Cornelius. So Acts 10 says this. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. So the first thing you need to know, this is a man. He's from the Italian cohort. He is a Gentile. But he is a Gentile who fears God and is devout, and it actually shows up in his life. Like he gives alms. He participates with his life in the work of God, and God sees it. That's very easy in a world like ours that is so busy and crazed sometimes to think that the things that we do to participate in the with God life go unnoticed. But right out of the bat, this person who the religious people don't see, God sees. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He answered, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner. Simon and Simon. I'm not that old, am I? <laughs> Y'all remember Simon and Simon. Good heavens. Two Simons. One is Peter, one is Simon. A tanner whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left. He called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, 
As they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. And what you need to know is that these animals that are coming down in this vision, they are what every Jew would have known as unclean. Like you don't eat these. You don't make things out of these. That there are clean animals and there are unclean animals. And one of the ways that you demonstrated that you were a good Jew was by keeping the law, which you knew made some things clean and some things unclean. And the vo- he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, for many of us, we're like, I'm glad I don't have to keep that law because I like steak and burgers. But this is, this is visceral. This is as if you got a voice from heaven telling you, you know what? You remember, you know your dog, Fluffy? Kill and eat. I have a dog that I hate. I'm okay with the kill part. But I still wouldn't be okay with the eat part. That's what's being asked of Peter. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again, a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. And right there, we have the pronunciation, the proclamation from God. You don't get to decide what's clean and unclean. The only God gets to decide what's clean and unclean. This happened three more times. And the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, I lost my place. Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and went with them, and some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and falling at his feet, worshipped him. But Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up, I am only a mortal. 
And as he talked with them, he went in and found that many had assembled, many Gentiles. These are Cornelius' relatives and friends. And he said to them, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now, may I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius replies, four days ago, at this very hour, at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner by the sea. Therefore, I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. So now all of us are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. Well, the Lord's not commanded him to say anything. He just said, go over there. So like, what's Peter going to say? He's got to say what the Lord has commanded him to say. And so what I imagine is that Peter does what all preachers do, which is say stuff that he's already said before. (laughs) So then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Lord of all. So if you ever have the unfortunate task of going to seminary, one of the things that you will have to do is take Greek. And most of us, at some point in our education had to take a foreign language and you know you have those words that they teach and like if you learn how this word works all the declensions of it if you learn how that word works you learn how all the other words that are like it also work and one of those words when you take greek is pos all and so you just learn all the declensions Pas, pas upon, all the way on down. And when you do that, one of the things that you begin to notice as you read the scriptures is how often you see the word all. In many ways, the New Testament is about the word all. The message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And there you have it. The book of Acts says that these men went turning the world upside down. 
And how did they do that? Through the Holy Spirit. And what is the power that allows Jews and Gentiles to come together? The power that helped them learn the difference between the differences that make a difference and the differences that don't make a difference? It's the Holy Spirit. And I grew up, and maybe some of you did too, or, or, or maybe some of us are suspicious of the Holy Spirit because of all of the abuses that we have seen and we're able to name. And people will say, the Holy Spirit told me this, or it did that, or I saw this. But what the Holy Spirit does when Peter meets Cornelius is bring what was once separate and apart together. In the 21st century, we have debates over race and income equality and sexuality and economics, immigration and religion. In so many ways, it's all just Jews versus Gentiles. And what the scriptures offer as a remedy for that world is the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the reality is, when it comes to all of the ways the world is fractured, the smartest people in the world have tried their best, and this is all we got. And what if the answer was the Holy Spirit? And so when we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, we are not simply resting on or leaning on Benny Hinn type healing or snake handling or ecstatic experiences. And I don't want to be the kind of person that doubts that God can do anything, but what we say when we say we believe in the Holy Spirit is that we reject racism and sexism and ethnocentrism and all of the phobias. When we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, we relieve ourselves of the burden of judgment and condemnation. When we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, like Peter, we accept the invitation to go to places that we would never have gone and do things and be with people we would have never been with when God sends us there. When we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, we believe that there is comfort in our affliction and that pain can be redemptive. When we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, we accept that all of the good that we are empowered to do is itself powered by another power. And in the Gospels, virtually everything Jesus does, he does by the power of the Spirit. 
Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit inside of Mary. He prayed by the power of the Spirit. He cast out demons by the power of the Spirit. He went around doing good and healing by the power of the Spirit. He lived a sinless life and gave his life on the cross by the power of the Spirit. He was raised up from the dead by the power of the Spirit. Before he ascended into heaven, he gave instructions to his followers through the power of the Holy Spirit. That everything Jesus does is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Theologian Gerald Hawthorne talks about it this way. He says, the Holy Spirit was the divine power by which Jesus overcame his human limitations such as being limited in knowledge and bound by physical space and human strength, rose above his human weakness and won out over human mortality. And this is what makes Jesus, the power of the Spirit, is what makes Jesus the most wide-open human being in history. And later, in the New Testament, when Paul sits down by candlelight to write, the churches in Galatia. And he says, here's what marks the life of a believer, a follower of Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he doesn't say that that is the result of hard work or what you get out of a great education, Paul says those are fruit of the Spirit. And if you could live a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, wouldn't you want to? Wouldn't you want to believe in the Holy Spirit? When you're dealing with your partner or your children or your parents or your coworkers, wouldn't you want, wouldn't you want them to walk out of a room being with you and say, that person is filled with the Spirit and all of these characteristics allow us to do something that might actually change the world. Because when Jesus looks at his disciples and promises them the Spirit to come, he will say, by the Spirit, you will be my witnesses. And right now, in a country that is very polarized, in a world that's at war, in everything that we have been through in the last five years. Don't you think we need some witnesses? Some people who are the genuine article of what it means and looks like to walk with God in a world where more and more Christians are associated with grift and abuse and lies, where many of us want to stand up and name those abuses and give testimony to the beauty and love of Christ, we need to believe 
and the Holy Spirit. South Bend City, let me pray for you. God, would you give us a fresh infusion of your spirit that you would walk with us in all of our differences and our uniqueness in ways that we could see, know, and understand. That we would be empowered by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And that we would be people of great joy and great love to testify to your beauty and your grace and your embrace. And we ask it in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me for your benediction? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he lift his face to shine upon you and give you peace. And may grace and peace be with you. Thank you very much. You're dismissed.